That's a great song. It's kind of gets you. Um, well, like I said last week, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop thinking about the song because it's gonna get me even more. Um, like I said last week, this week we're gonna wrap up our theme, or at least I'm gonna wrap up what I'm gonna talk about when it comes to our theme. We got one more sermon this year, next week, and um, I won't be here, so I, I just decided we would do this this week. Um, I don't. I think I don't know who's preaching next week. Is it William? He might be talking about the theme. We'll see. Um, but last week we talked about the connection of grace and thanksgiving. And it comes from our theme, Grace for More, where this year we've been talking about grace, but we've also been talking about evangelism and, and allowing the gospel to spread to more because, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that as he's been going around teaching people and, and preaching the gospel, grace is extending to more and more people. And there's a few things that happens from that. There's more disciples. We talked a lot about that this year. There's more thanksgiving to God, and there's also more glory to God. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 a lot, and the other verses will primarily be on the screen. So if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, we're going to be in 3 and 4. Um, I think that the, the letter that Paul writes to 2 Corinthians has been really helpful to consider and go through this year for a couple of different reasons. I think one of those is because we get insight into someone who gave their life for Christ. Like truly everything that he did, Every interaction that he had, all he went through was because of his faith in Jesus Christ, and it was for the cause of the gospel. So a lot of 2 Corinthians, it, it seems like he's defending himself. And I remember we talked about this earlier in the year, that it, it definitely seems like he's defending himself. But later on in, in, this, in this letter, he says, did you think I'm just talking about me? No. And his whole thing is like, if I'm just talking about myself, then that's just foolishness. Really, he's trying to defend the gospel itself. Because calling an apostle and his teaching into question is really calling into question the gospel and, and God that has uh, granted the gospel through, through Paul and others. So, so he's like, I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about just defending God. And so that's really what 2 Corinthians is all about. But he does talk about things he's been through. He talks about why. He talks about what he has set his mind on. And he's talked about the purpose being for the sake of others. It's always for the sake of others that he gives himself over to persecutions and, and all the shame that he's gone through. Um, so really what we're going to talk about is this connection of grace and glory. So if grace spreading to more leads to more glory to God, then it seems like that for us, grace leads to glory. And so we're going to talk about that today. So, so the verses uh, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15, Paul says, it's all for your sake. Like everything I do, everything I've been doing, Paul's saying, it's all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. And what does that eventually produce? The glory of God. God is glorified as grace extends to more and more people. So I want to talk about that. And, and I was, as I was thinking about it, um, I wish there was a great word connection of grace and glory, like there was last week of grace and thanksgiving where grace is actually a component of thanksgiving. That's just not the case from what I could tell. Um, I'm also not a scholar, so all I do is go to a couple websites, and if it shows a connection, I'm like, awesome. That makes it easy. And apart from that, I'm like, all right, I, I know nothing about the Greek. So as far as I can tell, there's no real connection, no true connection uh, in the wording. However, I, I do want to show a connection of grace and glory just practically. So just Think with me for a second. I'm going to ask a few questions, and I just want you to engage your mind and just think about this. 
So first I want to ask this. When it comes to just in your life, even from a worldly standpoint, have you accomplished a lot? Like what have you accomplished? What has been an accolade, recognition that you have in your life? Just think about that. What have you done that has led to glory in your life? Just think about that. Okay, now think about what led to that glory. What led to that recognition, that accolade? Was it just what you did? You shouldn't just think it's about what you've done. Let me give you an example. And this is like not something to boast in, but I'm about to boast in it just for the sake of giving an example. Um, When I say it's nothing to boast in, it's like I got to be a black belt when I was like, younger, right, in karate and taekwondo. That's nothing to really boast in. And when I say it's nothing to boast in, it means that, like, if you try to challenge that, like, I, I you know, it, you're going to win, probably. So, like, so I, I can't be a boast in my black belt ability, right? It's something that I attained. It, it was, there was a ceremony, and it, it, it was great. There was, there was glory, I suppose. And when I was eight or nine years old, I, I, I thought it was really something awesome, you know? Now, 35 years old, I'm like, okay, maybe there's something to glory in, but when I was younger, I did. Okay, so let's just take that example. Whatever it is for you, just like think about that example of what has been accolade or recognition in your life. Here's the example of grace as far as leading to that glory of becoming a black belt for me. I didn't get to the Taekwondo place by myself. Someone had to drive me, right? Well, who drove me? It was, it was my mom, but a lot of times it was, it was like it was my grandparents. They would drive me to different places where I, would, where I took karate. So I didn't even get myself there. See, that's grace. Someone else did something for me that I did not deserve, that I did not earn. That was grace from the people that even took me there. What about the people that taught me? What about the people that actually were patient with me and, and instructed me? I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. That was their grace upon me. Um, what about the actual, like, um, opportunities to go and do tournaments and things like that? I mean, like, my granddad drove me from the Birmingham area to Mobile a couple of times um, just to, so I could go to these tournaments and learn more and, like, get this experience. Well, that, that, that's grace. I, I know this is kind of a silly example, but, like, I think practically that's a connection of grace and glory. So what, what have you attained? What have you accomplished in your life? Maybe you have accomplished something where you were able to start your own business. Maybe you were able to do something where you reached a certain pinnacle in your profession. Maybe you accomplished something in the world as far as you went and you saw this and you did that. Whatever it was, we need to be able to see that grace is connected to reaching those heights. If not, then we are so far removed from understanding God's grace that we can't even see the practical application of grace in our lives. We can't even see what that we don't deserve whatever we've attained. We can't even see that we haven't earned our place. And if, we're, and if that's where you are, then I, w- I want you to, with this next question to consider how really maybe distant you are in your mind and your thinking from God. What have you attained spiritually? What has been a spiritual accolade that you have attained? Just think about that. Now the next question, similar to the first type of questions, is, what led to that? What led to you attaining that? Have you been able to put away some sort of sin that you just never thought was going to be possible for you to be free from? Did you do that on your own? 
you see, if, if you, with the first set of questions with like more worldly things, if you think it really was on your own, there's a good chance that even with spiritual things, you think it's on your own as well. And that is negating the grace of God. That very thing is negating his grace. Are you where you are because of you? Or are you where you are because of God? What he has done, even through other people. Maybe, maybe it's other people that have allowed you and helped you to get to where you are spiritually. Well, that connection still goes back to God. That, that grace is what allows us to get there. So I think we do see the connection of grace and glory. And as we consider the connection even further in 2 Corinthians, I just want you to understand that like, it all stems from God, and it all goes back to God. Like he's the originator of it, so therefore that's grace. So as we are recipients of that, and then we start doing things and on our own, and we start responding to that grace, you know what eventually leads to? Not, not just glory for us, but actually glory to God. So either way, it, it, it kind of it comes full circle back to God, right? We've got to be able to see that connection practically in our lives, to, I think, to ever make that connection spiritually for us. So here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through several points. Um, what I first want to do is I want to, us to understand what glory truly is. I know I said like accolades and recognition, but here's some like other words and, and maybe definitions that might be helpful. So glory is also about praise, regarding something as excellent. Glory is magnificence and majesty, okay? That's what glory is. So maybe you've seen something in the world that you think that was magnificent. You, the other word you might say is that was glorious. Maybe you've gone through an experience that was just excellent, and it was, it was wonderful, and you would say that was glorious. Um, but, but really, I think what we need to understand is that no matter how wonderful and glorious those things are, uh, the originator of what is glorious is God. Glory is something that first belongs to God and is not something that is ever stemming just from ourselves. Glory is only seen, applied to humans because of God. We don't create our own glory. God is the one that originates glory. So therefore, when he calls something glorious or, or worthy of glory, it, it is worthy of glory. When he says that there is a path to receive glory, that is the only path to receive glory because he's the originator of glory. So if we go just in 2 Corinthians, just to see that God is a God of grace and glory, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and if you just start in verse 12, Paul says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. So Paul is saying, like, this is our boast. And what he goes on to boast about is, like, nothing about himself. He says it's not about earthly wisdom. Actually, it's about simplicity. We behaved in the world a certain way, and it accomplished certain things, but by whose power? Well, it's by the grace of God, right? So God is a God of grace, but then you go just a few verses later to verse 15, and it says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. And then you skip down a little bit, verse, uh, verse 19, really, uh, excuse me, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So he's saying, like, his connection to keeping his word is connected to God keeps his word. But for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ, is what he's saying there. That is why it is through Christ that we utter our amen to God for his glory. 
It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us, given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God is God of grace, but here Paul says he's also a God of glory. He's the one that bestows anointing. He's the one that sanctifies. He's the one that gives his spirit and seals us, and he's the one that keeps his promise because he's a God of glory. So we need to understand that that's who God is. He's, he is all about grace and he's all about glory, both at the same time. And both are things that he offers to us. And both are things that he desires us to take advantage of and to obtain. So let's go ahead and get into some other things that, that maybe help us understand this connection of grace leading to glory. The first thing that I want to point out is we have greater glory because of Christ. God has always dealt with his people and showed them a path to glory. You go back to Exodus, you go back to, we go back to Genesis, really, and you see that God gives a path to glory. But through Christ, we have greater glory. So actually in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So he's saying, if you go back and you accept this law of Moses and you you seek to like adhere to that to then be pleasing to God, you are rejecting Christ. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. What does justification lead to? Glory. Acceptance. That's what justification truly leads to. And he's saying, you know, you used to pursue that justification through the law, but now you don't need to do that. You need to do that through Christ. And if you choose the law, you're severed from Christ. And he actually goes on to say, you have fallen away from grace. Not you've fallen away from glory, you've fallen away from grace. We negate the grace of God when we pursue our own self-righteousness, our own way of justification apart from Christ. But the end of it will lead to glory. He goes on to say, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And what does that accomplish? Justification. So when God says, you are justified, you are accepted, you are now recognized as being pleasing, that's glory. But when we try to seek our own, and we, when we maybe try to go a different path, that doesn't accomplish any true glory because it's actually separating us from the grace of God. You go back to uh, the verses in 2 Corinthians that we're in. So, so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 to kind of bring this point out a little, a little bit more that we have greater glory because of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 7, I think, I think Paul makes this point pretty clear here as well. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on, on stone, so he's talking about the law of Moses there, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, all right, so there was glory through the law of Moses. Whenever Moses would go before God, and especially I think it's in Exodus 33, if you really want to see when this happens, if you really want to see how, how the glory worked in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, you come before God, there's glory that is bestowed, but it dims and it goes away. Because ultimately, that was not the path to glory that God wanted, that God was planning for. It was always through Christ. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? See, now it's not written on stone. It's the Spirit that we have. 
if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, which is how Paul is referring to the law of Moses, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will that will, will what is permanent have glory. See, in Christ, the glory never diminishes. I know that we have sin, and I know that we struggle, and I know that sometimes we do turn away from the grace of God. But if we strive to stay in Christ, the glory never fades, even though we do struggle and we do sin. Somehow, God looks at us and allows us, through repentance and through forgiveness, to like have this, have this glory that is being able to be bestowed all the time. As opposed to Moses, where he had, the, had that veil. And at one point, I, I guess we could think that the veil was so that people could actually look at him and not be blinded by the glory. But actually, the way that, the way that God seems to, to talk about that is that the veil was so that people wouldn't see the glory dim. But now we have unveiled face come before God through Christ. There's more glory through Christ. So if you want to try and have your own glory in this life, or even your own glory and recognition spiritually, that that's a lesser form of glory than God wants you to have. Because it's not through his grace. It's through your own perseverance. It's through your own strength. It's through your own righteousness. And that never produces the glory of God. It produces your own pride. That's all it does. So we have greater glory because of Christ. What we also need to do is we also need to be careful what gospel we spread. So there's a connection of grace and the gospel. I think we've already talked about that, that as the gospel is spread, there's grace that is extending. But let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know what happens when we start preaching a different gospel? You know what happens when we change the message of God to be something that is more palatable to other people because we're afraid or nervous or it's just more fitting for us? We are shining something that is fake light. We're not truly shining the light of God. So that darkness is never truly exposed. That No one is ever coming to the light of God. No one is ever actually coming to understand his glory. No one is ever coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to be really careful what gospel we spread. Because we could start spreading a gospel and a message, uh, a good news, that sounds so full of grace, and yet it's not the grace of God that we're actually spreading. It's our own grace. <laughs> and, and how valuable is our grace? It's not valuable at all, really. Like, what, what good is it if I say, hey, you know what, Luke, it's okay. You don't have to worry about that. You're forgiven. That's nothing. That's nothing. But, but if God has said that, that is powerful. 
that means something. You've gone from darkness to light. You've gone from apart from him to being with him. You, you've gone from being an enemy to being a child through his grace. Through our grace, when we try to, to dim the gospel and lessen it, just because it's, I don't know, it's kind of, it's not more fun, but it's just easier to go through life doing that. We're not spreading his grace. We're actually spreading a fake form of grace, something that is lesser, that never actually allows people to attain his glory. So we need to be careful what gospel we spread, especially in our day and age and especially in our culture. Like, there, there are so many different messages that sound so similar to God's message. But if we diminish it, if we take a little bit away, if we replace it in some way, even just a piece of it, we're not really giving them grace, not the grace of God. We're giving them our grace, which is not going to help them on the day of judgment at all. Like, they're not going to be able to stand before God and say, but Blake approved of me. He said I was accepted. That's not going to stand. That's not going to be good. We need to be really careful what gospel we spread. What we also need to do is we need suffering as a reminder of God's grace. Sometimes teaching the gospel allows people the opportunity to suffer. Doesn't that sound kind of strange? Like, the gospel should be freeing, it's good news. But sometimes the gospel presents an opportunity to suffer for our faith. Not just as, as a preacher or as an evangelist or a, as a missionary. Or any, I, I mean just believing and following the gospel can cause true suffering, Right? It's as if we are a precious metal that is being refined by fire. That's suffering. It's pain. It's difficult. But what it produces is something great. And so that, that suffering that we need is a reminder of God's grace. So, and this is a little bit different take on it, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you look at verses 7 and 8, um, Paul is talking about himself and the other apostles and, and people that have been preaching the gospel. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. I think what he's saying is like the the treasure is the gospel itself, and it's within the jars of clay being us as humans. That's what I think he's saying. He says, to show what the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I've been suffering so much. We've, we've had all this happen. We've had all this happen. We've been persecuted. We've been afflicted, struck down. The interesting thing is if you see what he says at the end of that, he's like, but not crushed, but not driven to despair, but not forsaken, but not destroyed. I think in that, Paul is acknowledging that like the first half of all those statements is terrible. It sounds awful. But from his perspective, it, it's okay. And it's actually worth it. Like, yeah, yeah, I've had all this bad stuff happen but I've not been totally destroyed yet. I, I can't imagine having that perspective on life. Like, oh yeah, look at all this bad stuff. Hey, but you know what? It's okay. Like, I, I struggle with that. And if you connect it to actually what we talked about last week, the, the thanksgiving and gratitude to God, I think if we keep that gratitude, that thanksgiving, it does allow us to not be blinded to the, to the bad things, but to change our perspective on life so we truly see what is good. And sometimes going through the bad is actually good. Sometimes going through the suffering is actually a good thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that's going to be on the screen, is another place that Paul talks about this. So later on in 2 Corinthians, this is when that famous passage of Paul's thorn in the flesh, this is where we see this. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was giving, given to me in the flesh. By the way, this is, um, this is right after he said, 
I know a guy that was called up to heaven and everything. It's like, okay, Paul is saying, I have every reason to boast and to like kind of one-up you all, but I'm not going to do that. But then he starts talking about this thing where he's like, there's a reason that I have no, no cause to boast in myself. Because he says that um, there was this thorn was given to him in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. We, we have no idea what that is. Um, I don't think it was an actual thorn that was like in his heel or anything. I think it was, it could have been something that was physical. It could have been something that was spiritual. We, we really don't know. There's a lot of speculation on that. It doesn't really matter what it was. What matters most is what God's answer was for this problem. Because he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. What do you think his prayer was? You think it was, God, take this away from me? I think so. I pl- what, what else would he be pleading to the Lord for? Other than to remove that. Take this thorn away, that, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So you connect this to what we just read in chapter 4, and it's like, that's how he has this perspective on life and all the junk he's gone through, all the awful things he's gone through, because his weaknesses just highlight the strength of God and the power of God. His weaknesses are not a path for him to be shameful. His weaknesses are a path for him to glory and boast in the Lord. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How does that make any sense? Because he's strong in the Lord. I think that's the, his whole point here. God's answer for him is, you have my grace, and that's enough. Because what does God's grace lead to? Glory. So you don't, you don't need everything to be taken away from you that's bad. You don't need an easy path. Paul didn't need that. And I don't know what God's answer for you is. If you have something going on and you are asking God to, for that to be taken away, I don't know his answer. But his answer might be, my grace is sufficient. Because when you are weak and you rely on God, he is strong. And his strength is highlighted through your weakness. I think that's a wonderful thing. He's like, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses. I think you've got to be some kind of crazy person to boast in your weaknesses. Like, you've got to have a certain thing about you that you're like, you, you love to highlight how weak you are. <laughs> who does that? Like, it, when you're sitting there interviewing for a job and they want to ask you your weaknesses, who, who like, who is totally honest with that person interviewing them, first of all? And who is like, oh, yeah, no, I'm terrible at this. I, I'm rarely on time, and um, I'm a procrastinator, you know, and, and you're, like, boasting in it. No one does that, right? But when we consider our weaknesses and the fact that God is the one that is strong, so we lean on him for our weaknesses, and also when we consider that through our, us living out the gospel, even with our weaknesses, that the light of Christ is able to be seen in us, we have all the reason to boast in him. He gets all the glory. We don't get the glory because we've overcome weaknesses. God gets the glory because he is able to work through our weaknesses, work through us. And I think that's what Paul is highlighting here. This thorn wasn't taken away. God said, you have my grace, and that's enough. That's all you need. He actually says that his power is made perfect in weaknesses. God's power is made perfect through our weaknesses. So that, that means it's okay for us to be weak. And it's okay, and it's actually good, for us to continue 
being relying on the grace of God, being weak in many aspects, because God's power is seen. His glory is highlighted. We go also to Philippians chapter 4, which is a really popular verse that some people put on their eye black when it comes to football and stuff like that or whatever. And it says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is the same writer, Paul, saying this. He's giving his perspective. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. That's true. He had a lot. And then he gave up a lot for the cause of Christ and he was put through awful things. In, ev- in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? What's that secret? I think, I think it's probably the next verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the, the key, the answer, the, the big revelation is you don't have to have everything, and you don't have to be in a great situation in life. What matters most is, is are you able to glorify God throughout any situation? If the answer is yes, then Christ is giving you the strength that you need to get through whatever you're going through. If your focus is on you, then you will always be disappointed and you will always be disappointing other people. If your focus is on God, now he can be glorified and how he can glorify through you, then his grace truly is sufficient for you. It's enough. It is enough. Sometimes we just don't believe it's enough. And I think that's what we see here with Paul. All right, I thought that was going to take the longest time, so don't freak out. Whoever has the Lord's Supper talk, don't freak out. I'm not going to be too much longer. So, but we, I think this point about like we need suffering, we need that. I think that does present a question for me, and that's well, why. Why suffer for the gospel? Have you suffered for the gospel? Have you had to make life changes and truly suffered? Have you been afflicted because of the gospel, because of your faith? Why'd you go through that? And and why should you go through whatever suffering is coming? What if everything around us falls apart? What if our country just falls apart? What if we truly are persecuted? Why should we suffer? And I think the answer is Christ-like glory. That's why. Because we get to be more like Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you continue in verse 10. Paul says, Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. If you believe in the resurrection, you are carrying around with you his death. And what that allows you to go through is anything in life because you're not looking just for good things in this life. You're looking and longing for the resurrection. But what he also says is that so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. When you go through suffering in a Christ-like way, Jesus is seen through you. We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. How wonderful is it that what God says is that when you go through pain and suffering and continue to be faithful, Christ is seen in you. We are blessed to be able to carry around with us the life of Christ, where he can shine through us. We are undeserving of that. That, that by his very nature, is God giving us grace. Another passage, I think, that, that helps us with this is Hebrews chapter 2. And this whole thing, he, you know, the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, Christ is better, everything you have through Jesus is better, so don't 
Don't turn away from him. Don't fall away from him. But he does say in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Christ, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Why, how was he crowned with glory and honor? Why was he crowned with glory and honor? Because of the suffering of death. Jesus had glory before he ever came to earth. But what, what allowed him to be crowned with glory and honor? To be king. What God says is because he suffered. So what happens when we get to suffer? What happens when we are allowed to suffer? I think we're crowned with glory and honor. It says, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Where, where was the grace of God seen in, in Jesus' death? It's because of what Jesus is because of what God was working through his death. So, so where's God's grace seen when, when his saints die, when we go through hard things? It's because we're allowed to go through that. And it produces something so much better. It produces something so that other people are able to see God through suffering, through even our suffering. And that's just a wonderful blessing that we can participate in Christ-like glory through suffering. Here's a couple of things that I think are important for us to address, though, is like, here's maybe a way where, here's some ways where you might see that you're glorifying yourself in your life. Because I think it's important for us to kind of just assess, am I seeking my own glory or am I seeking God's glory? So here's, a, here's some things I think that prove that we are seeking to glorify ourselves. When you are boastful about your good works, you are seeking to glorify yourself. Like, no, no, I'm not trying to boast. I'm just, I'm just saying I did this thing. <laughs> okay. I don't think it's wrong for us to talk about good works necessarily, but, but we know our hearts. Good works are meant to bring glory to God. He's supposed to be seen through our good works. So when we do good things to be seen, we're seeking our own glory. Okay? And we know when we are doing things to be seen. Maybe when you talk instead of being quiet. Maybe that's you seeking your own glory. Maybe when you're quiet, you should talk. You could be seeking your own glory. You know, it, it's, it's easy to be, I mean, for me at least, it's easy to be the person that talks too much. It's really hard to be the person that talks at the right time. Right? But when we talk when we shouldn't, and when we don't talk when we should, it's probably us seeking our own glory. When we care too much about what other people think about us, so we're willing to conform and change, we're seeking our own glory. When we care too little about what people think about us, so we're unwilling to conform and change to our brothers and sisters, to give preference, to show love, we're probably seeking our own glory. And I know that what I just listed out are two opposing things. But that's the reality of how often we seek our own glory. We find the way to do it. When we struggle with the blessings of others, we're probably seeking our own glory. When I, what I mean by that is we struggle to see others blessed. Like it, it annoys us. It pains us. We're probably seeking our own glory. So how should we bring glory to God? Here, here's a few options. We, we bring glory to God by praising him in worship. That's one, that's one obvious way. So like praise him in worship. Bring glory to God. When we don't shy away from using the name of Jesus in prayer, or we don't shy away from using the name of Jesus and explaining why we are the way we are or why we do what we do, we're bringing glory to God. 
When we remain sexually pure, we're bringing glory to God. When we speak, speak the truth when it's hard, we bring glory to God. When we pause and pray instead of speaking up, we're probably bringing more glory to God. When we're led by faith instead of fear, we're bringing glory to God. When we truly seek the good of others, even in spite of our own good and what's better for us, we're bringing God glory. And when we are producing obedience and spiritual fruit instead of worldly fruit, that's bringing God glory. So Paul has been saying this. He's like, this is what you need to focus on. This is what it's about. It's about bringing glory to God because he has given us this grace. So go through this suffering. It's difficult. Paul is a great example for us. But if you notice in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, he says, we do not lose heart. And then you go to verse 16, it says, so we do not lose heart. One of the hard things about seeking God's glory in this life is that we lose heart sometimes. So don't give up. Keep seeking God's glory. That's Paul's message. Don't give up. He says, 16 through 18, though our outer self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. You know, we're, we're like really fragile pieces of fruit, I think, sometimes. We're like, we bruise so easily. Our, our outer self is wasting away, like quickly sometimes. The hard thing is to be confident and be sure that our inward self, spirit, is actually being renewed and strengthened day by day. Because we don't see it, right? Like we see the outside, we don't see the inside. Um, that's actually the opposite of fruit. If the, if the outside's bruised and bad, you probably don't want that fruit. The inside's probably not good either. We're not, we're not like fruit. We're, we're people that have the spirit of God within us. So yeah, maybe on the outside you've been bruised. Maybe you're going through a really hard time. Maybe you feel like you can't shake something. Maybe it's a thorn in the flesh. Don't lose heart. If you are leaning on God, if you're leaning on his grace, seeking his glory, you're being renewed inwardly day by day. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's our hope. That's our goal. Look to the things that are unseen. How do you look to things that are unseen? How do I set my eyes on something that's not seen, not visible? It's only through faith. It's only through our faith in God and faith in a resurrected Savior that we can look to the things that are unseen. In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, in particular verses 10 and 11, but I'll start in verse 5. He says, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So suffer. Clothe yourself, but suffer. Be prepared. Humble yourself. Draw near to God. Resist the devil. He's coming. He's here. He's, he's everywhere. Resist him, though. We can do it. And be ready. Be ready not just for bad things, but be ready for glory one day. Because after we've suffered for a little while, our God, who is God of all grace, 
will grant us these wonderful things, an eternal weight of glory, or excuse me, eternal glory in Christ. But to God be the glory forever and ever, not to us, right? Whatever we do, it's not for our glory, it's for his glory. And if we keep that in mind, we won't lose heart. We won't be swayed, we won't give up. We will set our eyes on Jesus and we will see him in his glory. And we'll be gathered together to be with him in all glory. Our momentary affliction, our earthly affliction, Paul says is light. It's passing away. It doesn't feel light, though. It doesn't feel like it's momentary. If you are struggling in your faith right now, and you need some help, you need prayers, you need encouragement, you need strengthening, God is offering you strength. Sometimes the way he offers that strength is through a group of people. And if you need help and you need us to pray for you, pray with you, to strengthen you, to, so you don't give up, we are here for you. But it's not for our glory, it's for his. So cling to God. Don't lose heart, cling to him. Let's look forward to being with him forever in glory by his grace. Let's say a prayer and then uh, William will have a closing song. God, you're a God of grace, you're a God of glory. You forgive us, you receive us. You exalt us, Lord, and we don't always feel exalted in this life. seems like we're not supposed to. But we ask you help us to take on the, the perspective and the vision that Jesus had while he lived this earth, that even though he was in our form and went through many difficulties and he suffered, he counted the, the glory of being with you of more value. And I pray that we have that, that mindset and that vision as well. That whatever we go through in this life, that we will realize that it is light, it is momentary, and there is an eternal glory that is awaiting us. Thank you for blessing us with that hope through Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to be your children and being our Father that hears us, that helps us and strengthens us. God, I pray that we will all cling to you that we will humble ourselves, that we will resist the devil, and that we will continue pursuing your glory in our life. And Lord, we pray that when Jesus comes, that we will be ready, that we will be longing for his, him to come, so that we might be gathered with you for all eternity, so we can be praising you and singing hallelujah and praises for all eternity. Thank you for your great salvation and for offering it to us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all you've done for us. And God, we pray that the sacrifice of our lives will be a sweet-smelling aroma to you, that as we live, other people will see Jesus through us and will come to the light. Work through us, Lord, and help us to be good stewards of what you've given us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.